You're listening to Win Win, an entrepreneurial community with your host, Ben Wolf. And welcome to the Win Win podcast. This is Ben Wolf, as always, your host. Uh, we're going to be talking today about knowing your buyer type three, ty- three years before you exit. Uh, with that, I want to get into introducing our guest today. Uh, he has decades as a business owner and as a board member in manufacturing businesses. Uh, he spent 15 years buying businesses as part of a private equity group, so he definitely understands the buyer side of it, the buyer perspective of it. Uh, he's a professional EOS implementer. Uh, you can learn more about him at eosworldwide.com forward slash Eric-Lynn, L-Y-N-N. And with that, I welcome you, Eric. Nice to have Good you morning. here. Thank Good morning. you. Thank, thanks for the opportunity to help at least one person, which is makes for a very good day for me if I could help anybody. Well, 100%. I know hopefully, you know, by, by having this uh, audio and video available to a lot of people, hopefully we can help even more than one person, maybe even two people. I, I'll take uh, one at a time. So I guess I want to get into this. I, you know, I mentioned a little bit in my introduction, but uh, if you could give us a quick two-minute background on yourself so we can understand sort of where you came from and how we came to be talking about this topic today. Sure. Happy to. So lifelong entrepreneur, started my first business in middle school selling, making candles and selling them at flea markets. Nice. Fast forward, I spent uh, a few years in the food business before I got wrangled into what I thought was a family business that my family had a controlling interest in. Ended up, uh, the paperwork didn't exactly match my father's vision. Worked uh, to get that company sold and get uh, the family separated from the partners. Uh Learned a real lot in my first transaction. And during that process, I was actually recruited by one of the potential buyers to join their firm. It was a distribution company located here in Philadelphia uh, that was private equity backed. So I spent about four years in the firm eventually was promoted uh, to the CEO of the company and eventually bought it from the private equity firm. That was, I got two great lessons out of that. The first was uh, debt will kill you if you don't have enough money to grow. Being, I think I was 31 or 32 at the time, I thought Mm -hmm. I was bulletproof. Uh, And the second is to make sure you know what you want before you do something. I spent um, about eight years trying to turn that business around, eventually sold it to a family business that needed my niche in the industry and fell into a job at private equity. For 15 years, I was the operating partner. It was my role to join the diligence team, make a recommendation to buy, not to buy. Once we closed the transaction, it was my job to put the plan together and execute on that plan. Had a lot of uh, opportunities to learn. I learned from really smart finance people. In the end, it was very lucrative, but not very emotionally uh, rewarding. Mm -hmm. And that's when I found EOS. My focus of help first, give back uh, has been more fun than I've ever had in my entire career. Very fulfilling. Right. Well, it's a great background. And in that that comment that you made about always knowing what you know what you want before you make a decision or decide what to do, 
I guess comes into comes into play for our topic today of like knowing your buyer type three years before sale or whatever you want to call it, but really knowing what you want to accomplish when you want to sell it, when you're thinking of selling your business at some point in the future. Uh, we've had, as I, as I told you, maybe 60, 70% of the potential clients that we talk to or the clients that we start with at Wolf's Edge Integrators, a fractional COO firm, are mentioned at some point in the conversation about wanting to uh, wanting to sell at some point in the relatively near future, in the next three years, five years, maybe more. Uh, but it comes up in you know more than half of the conversations. So it's an, it's a critical thing to understand how to do well. Uh, and I know you have a personal story that illustrates uh, in, the, in the home buying scenario about about the importance of uh, of knowing your buyer, knowing your goals before you sell. Yeah, it's really. Uh... It's very simple. The The two largest assets most people are going to sell in their life is their home and their business. And, you know, when you're putting your home up for sale, in your view, it's not a house. It's a home. And it's special to you. And there are things in that home that you love. And you can't imagine how somebody else wouldn't look at it and want the exact same thing. And then somebody walks into your house and goes, ugh. I hate that. Well, it's the same thing with your business. You know, your business needs to be what someone else would see value in, mm-hmm. not what you see value in. Mm-hmm. And it's very important that you understand how someone is going to look at not just your home, which is why people spend so much time staging their homes now to make it less, more generic. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing with your business. Three years before you're ready to sell your business, you need to do quote unquote staging of some sort. Mm -hmm. Well, you were in the business buying business for, you know, 15 years. You've got a lot of experience here. What are some of the things that we need to be thinking about years before, um, you know, we are thinking of selling and, and, and I guess, why are, why are those things important? So let, let's take a look at any business. I don't really care what industry it's in, uh, but there are a narrow set of people who are going to potentially acquire your business. What you need to understand before you even take a business to market is what does a win look like to you? Let, let me give you some examples of what that means. Do you have children that you want to stay in the business and grow with the business and that want to make a lifestyle as well as a career out of the business. Do you want to sell the business, be able to walk away, hand your heirs a pile of capital and let them do what they want with it? Do you want to stay active in the business? I have a client right now who just sold their business to a strategic buyer because they learned that the pressures of running a business and supporting the 15 families that relied on him. Mm -hmm was no longer fun. It was too stressful to him. Can you explain the term strategic buyer that you sure. just used? So let's go back and talk about the types of buyers. So once you know what it is that you want, there are really just a just oversimplify a narrow set of types of buyers. The first type of buyer is what we call a financial buyer. These are people who are using capital to make an acquisition of your business most often in the with the idea that they're going to sell your business again at some point. Typical private equity shop. 
mm-hmm. and I'm oversimplifying it and putting it in the market of the lower middle market, typical businesses that are $50 million worth of EBITDA, cash flow or less. So when a financial buyer wants to buy your business, they're going to look at your business as strictly an asset, nothing more. They're not as concerned about the people long-term. What their real concern is the people whose money they're investing. Mm -hmm. So it's very important that you understand you're not their primary partner. Their primary partner is the fund that they raised, their investors. Mm -hmm. And when push comes to shove, they're always going to make a decision that benefits the fund's sponsor versus the business owner. Mm -hmm. Plain and simple. Your transaction is transactional. The relationship when they raise capital is stickier. They want to be able to go back to that individual or institution multiple times Mm -hmm. to be able to raise that capital again. Financial buyers can be sliced up even a little deeper. There are your typical private equity funds, which we just talked about, that raise a fund. Then there are also something that you'll often see in the slower market, $5 million in EBITDA and less, which is called a pledge fund. Mm-hmm. Very simply put, a group of a family office, uh, a group of wealthy individuals, they may go to somebody and say, you find a deal and we'll get you the capital. They position themselves like they are a funded private equity firm, but it's not until you get into deep discussions that you find out they aren't. Okay. Without good counsel, sometimes you find that out too late. And you Wait, spend- what, is that, what does that mean, practically speaking? And what does finding out too late mean? Practically speaking, let's I'll give you a real life example. Okay. I have a client who's in the marketing business. They were generating about four and a half, five million dollars worth of EBITDA. And they were approached by an individual who wanted to use them as a platform company to make acquisitions of other marketing companies. Okay. And as they were negotiating the, the deal, I was brought in, introduced by a, a family friend. And I asked them very upfront, where, what's the source of capital for the buyer? And they said, we don't know. Why is that important? I said, well, if they don't have the money and they're going to put you through all of this and then go find the money, which is what a pledge sponsor is, okay, you could be wasting a lot of time, a lot of energy and get nowhere because they don't have the capital available. Uh-huh. Meaning because they might not be able to get the money. Correct. Okay. And when we when they asked that question and found out it was a fundless sponsor that was had a pledge, a soft circle of if you find a deal, we'll get you money. They backed out of that transaction, licked their wounds from the money they already spent, mm-hmm. and they began to talk about actually taking the business to market. Mm-hmm. When you actually take the business to market, you're going to prepare the business more and more importantly, the financials to attract a potential acquirer. Most deals in the financial world are leveraged, which means they're going to have to go to a bank. They're going to have to get capital. 
they're going to have to invest some of their own money. And more often than not, they're going to ask the seller to finance a piece of it by taking a note or rolling over equity. All of those things require really, really clean financials. Mm -hmm. So if you were a potential client of mine and we were implementing EOS and our five-year target was to sell the business and retire, part of our three-year picture must be developing very strong internal financial reporting so there were no surprises during due diligence. What's the difference between the kind of financials that you would have in preparation or contemplation of a future sale versus what you would do just as a responsible business owner that should have good finance, you know, that should have a good uh, strong hold and understanding of their financials? Like, what's the difference between the two? Uh, good question. Let me give you a real life example of things that I've come across in the past. So I'm working with a company now who is selling to a, a strategic, which we could talk about, and their financials were according to GAAP, but on a cash basis. So they weren't accurately reflecting the money they've already received from a client where they haven't done the work. Mm -hmm. So it's, if you think about it from a balance sheet point of view, they've received $100 from the client, but they haven't done the work associated with the cost right. of that $100. So when the strategic came in and went through their financials, they discounted the cash flow and the profit because they hadn't applied the cost to that hundred dollars yet in their financials mm -hmm. had they known that up front had they been looking at their balance sheet from a prospective buyer's point of view it wouldn't have come as a surprise once it comes as a surprise to them your typical private equity or strategic buyer that does a lot of acquisitions they have a whole deal team in place and the junior members of that deal team are very bright individuals from the top business schools in the country right. who strictly hired to find things you did wrong so they can make themselves look good with the private equity or the buyer so they can uncover potential risks and ding value. As a business owner, you don't think like that. Right. You don't have that person on your staff. Frankly, you're not even interested in that. You're interested in, do you have enough cash to do what you want to do personally, invest in the business long-term, and take care of your employees? Right. So right from the get start with a private equity group, you're diametrically opposed. Right. They're trying to ding value as much as they can, but they're also trying to understand all of the risks associated with your business. Right. So I urge people to if depending on the size of the transaction to make sure your financials will show what a potential buyer wants to see and there'll be less room for negotiation because of what your financial structure is. Right. Super helpful. All right. So that's two types of financial buyers, the pledge buyer and the investment buyer, I forget what you called it. And 
what else? What what are the other kinds of bars that I, that I, that I may be? So selling? let's talk. Let's talk about um, the goals first of the financial buyers. Okay. So if you're a private equity shop, when we were making acquisitions, we had a manufacturer of. Um, let's pick a good one. Let's talk about industrial blowers and vacuums. Essentially, wastewater treatment facility work big industrial car wash vacuums, completely industrialized blowing air and vacuuming air. When we went out to make that acquisition, we considered it a platform acquisition. They did about five and a half million dollars worth of EBITDA. And when we were going to sell it and take it to market, we wanted to bolt on two smaller companies in the same space. We bought one company in the wastewater space, which did about a million and a half dollars worth of EBITDA. Um, and we bought another company in the metal shaping blade space, which is one of the components. One to reduce cost, one to increase value. Mm -hmm. And it's just a numbers game. At a million and a half dollars of EBITDA, you can typically pay three or four times EBITDA. When you sell a $7 million company, you're typically going to sell it in those particular times between six and eight. So just the pop on the EBITDA multiple made it more attractive for us to small mm -hmm. companies. Okay. So if you're selling to a financial, you need to understand which one you are. Are you the platform? Mm -hmm. Are you the bolt-on? And what's so then the you've got So then you've got more leverage with the buyer at that yes. point. Yes. And then you need to know where you are in the process. When like, did stuck. they get the other company yet? Or are you the first one? Or... Yep. Because right. the, the first one gets the best multiple and the last one gets the best multiple. Uh -huh. The first one is now we got it bolted on. We can start telling the story to the market. Right. And the last one is if we can get like... the 10 million in EBITDA and we add this last $2 million of EBITDA, it, we're going to, the value jumps. Right. Therefore, I'm going to try and get as much as I can because I am the prettiest girl to dance right now. Right. And I'm going to get everything I can. So there's lots of stuff that goes on in the financial buying world that right. your typical business owner is not aware of. So how do you, before we get into more of the details, how do you, you know, business owners never going to become, uh, most people are not going to become fully savvy in all of these all of these factors and, and analysis, who do you want on your team? Like, you know, how do you, who do you want on your team representing you who gets all this stuff so that you have someone on your side who understands what's actually happening? So uh, the first, depending on the size of the company, the biggest mistake that I see people do is they hire their attorney based on relationship rather than deal experience. Okay. A company I know that I, that was sold, that I begged them not to use the attorney that they did. They were sold to a private equity group. And when the private equity group was having internal structures, they cut the, the business up, the private equity shop up, and one partner took X, these three investments, and another partner took the last three investments. And because it was an internal deal, the multiple wasn't as high as the market. 
and the original seller did not have any control over the transaction. Mm-hmm. Had they used a high-level transaction attorney and paid more, they would have. It's very common that the agreement of sale would have included that any further sale must be an open market sale, meaning it has to be a competitive situation mm-hmm. because they own some stock in the company post transaction. Right. So they didn't get as much value for their stock because right. it wasn't a competitive open market. Right. So I always tell people, make sure the in the attorney that you use is deal savvy. Because I guarantee you the private equity shops you're selling to are some of the smartest people you're ever going to come a- across. And they understand this game unbelievably well. So you can't go into a gunfight with a knife. Right. The other is if you want to take it to market, get multiple bidders, you need an investment banker. Okay. Not somebody who sold the pizza shop that your cousin introduced you to. Right. But somebody who understands your potential buyer. In the financial world, it's they have a relationship with private equity groups that would typically invest in your industry. Mm -hmm. The other side of it is something we haven't talked about, and that's your strategic buyer. Okay. You typically get paid a lot more by a strategic buyer. Mm -hmm. Now, what is a strategic buyer? So I'll give you a perfect example. We invested in a company in the Midwest that manufactured fire egress stairs. So the stairs you hope you never use in a hotel. And we did a ton of work in Vegas when Vegas was growing like crazy Mm -hmm. because these are the emergency stairs in the back of a hotel. When we knew that it was time for us to exit the investment, we hired an investment banking firm that knew the PE shops that were interested in construction and also knew the strategic buyers that invested in these kinds of companies. And we were sold at a much higher multiple to Worthington Steel. Worthington Steel was looking at it saying they're a huge buyer of steel. If we can go out and buy what's called go downstream and buy users of our product, we'll have a very captive market. We'll always be able to sell our steel. We won't have to be in competitive situations all the time. Mm-hmm. Therefore, it was worth more to them to pay more for that company because not only were they going to make money when that company grew, but Worthington as the parent was also going to make a profit when they sold the steel to the operating company. Right. So strategic buyers, which is what we sold the vacuum and blowing company to, typically will buy pay more. They can eliminate the back room. They can do all the financials in their house. They can typically consolidate buying, so they buy material better. They can take costs out much quicker. Therefore, they're much more likely to pay a higher multiple. Okay, so that could be selling to a vendor, you know, some big company that's a that's a vendor of yours, like in that example. Any other or, types of strategic buyers? Another type is somebody who's in the same industry but is not selling your product. 
So let's say you are uh, a truck manufacturer and you only make light bed trucks and you do all these wonderful work for refrigerated trucks and Mac doesn't have a refrigerated truck line. So rather than develop one from the ground up, they buy a refrigerated truck line. Right. They're looking to expand their customer base, leverage your brand recognition and be able to sell more through their dealerships and possibly push out a competitor who, because they now have a broader range of products. Right. What about, what about your own competitors? Your own competitor is a potential buyer, but it's also very scary. A couple of reasons. The first and foremost is you need to tell a competitive buyer everything about your business. Right. If the deal falls apart, although they've signed an NDA and they're not allowed to hire your people or they're not allowed to talk about it, you know, you've got 100 sales reps running around the country. You know, at least 75 of them are going to say, did you hear X, Y was for sale? <laughs> if the deal falls apart. Right. So I'm not a big fan unless the price is astronomical and they have a history of making acquisitions. If uh -huh. you're the first time they made an acquisition, uh -huh. I, I would counsel my clients, be a little leery. If they've grown via acquisition and you're just another one, I would talk to the acquirer, the, the companies they've already acquired, and I would ask them, can I talk to one person where the deal fell apart? You're allowed to do as much due diligence as possible mm -hmm. before you sell your company. One of my favorite sentences that I taught my sons and I tell all my clients in this situation, it's okay to ask anything. But the way you ask is the thing you should concentrate on. Uh-huh. And tell me, give me an example of that, the way that you ask. So if you say to somebody, I don't believe you're really going to close this transaction. I want to talk to someone you didn't buy. That's one way to ask the question. Right. The other way to ask the question is, I know you're going to invest a lot of time and money and energy in this. I want to make sure we're really what you want. So I want to talk to someone that you walked away from to make sure we're not going to have the same issues. I'm saving you time and money. Right. Right. It's a nice, it's a nice way of saying it. It's asking the same, same you're thing. asking for the same thing. Right. But you're asking it differently. Right. Right. Good advice. So we talked about strategic buyers. We talked about financial buyers and multiple kinds of each one. Uh, any other types of buyers that we might be selling yes. to? And, th and this is, this type of buyer is very, very prevalent in service industries. You see it in CPA firms all the time. And that's your, an internal buyout. Your younger, your next generation of leaders gets together. They raise capital. You give them, a, uh, a they, you, you agree on a price. You get X amount of money at close. You get, you give them a, a note. They may pay you interest on that note and they buy the rest of it out over time. You see that in, in partnerships all right. the time. You see that in service industries that don't have 
a lot of strategic interest or financial interest. Mm -hmm. Your company in that situation is only as good as your leadership team. So as much as I would love to say the leadership team is the most important thing in every transaction, sometimes it's not. Your strategic buyer may not want your leadership team. Right. They certainly don't want the finance seat. They're going to have their own people watching the money. Right. They may be running their company through their own rep firms and their own sales teams. So they're not going to need the salesperson on the team. Right. Well, this, this gets into why it's important several years in advance to have in mind who your, you know, what your goal is or who your like yes. buyer is. You could spend two years, you know, toil and effort and heartache and pain, you know, building into place, you know, the right leadership team. So it's like fully self-managing and everything. Then you sell to a strategic buyer and everybody's out the door, like right after the transaction, or a lot of them are. And you know, the important part of that sentence is, and the work you did, particularly within the U.S., implement like myself, did not get you value on exit. Right. Right. The value that they were seeing was in the market and the cost they could take out. Right. As opposed to a financial buyer or an internal right. team where the quality of the leadership team and its ability to execute its ability to take the company forward is really paramount. Right. Right. Well, uh, last question is, I mean, we can go on and on and I can keep picking your brain and I appreciate your time. The last question is how do you decide if let's say you're three to five years from uh, you know, when you're thinking of selling, how do you decide, you know, cause it's going to make a big difference in what path you take and in, in, in building and improving the business over the next couple of years. So how do you decide you know, which kind of buyer is right for me or which kind of buyer should I be thinking about in my situation? I'll, I'll answer that with my favorite philosopher's statement. Yogi Berra once said, if you don't know where you're going, how are you going to know when you get there? Right. Plain and simple. What do you want? You have to think about it. If I take this business to market five years ago, Five years from now, what does a win look like for me? Only you can answer that question. We can use EOS. We can use any any of the structures out there to get there. But if we don't know what we want, it's really difficult to get there. So when you're selling a business, uh, I sold my business, what I wanted was I wanted my people to have a place to work. I wanted to give them an opportunity to grow. And I wanted to get out of the industry I really didn't like anymore. So for me, having that my business bolted on as a, to a strategic that didn't sell the products we sold was great for what I wanted to accomplish. I got a check. They wanted me to stay for two years, but I knew that the owner of the the, the, the patriarch of the family would never put up with me. I walked away. I did everything I could to help them. And at the end, after two years, it wasn't a great fit. And I moved on. I was happy. They were happy. 
they got what they needed. I got what I needed. And 90% of my employees went with the business and stayed more than five years. That's what I wanted. Right. Okay. My client who just sold his business wanted a job. So when he sold to a strategic, and he could have sold to a financial as well, what he wanted was a place for him and his people to land and remove the financial pressure he had right. funding the growth of the business. There are others. I, I talked to somebody on the golf course the other day who sold his company to a PE shop that wanted his children who were running the business to stay, that wanted his children to participate in what we call the second bite of the apple, the next time they sold the company. Mm -hmm. He felt his children weren't financially astute enough and that the private equity group can help them with that. And he took money off the table that he was really happy with, that he put in a trust for his grandchildren. And he let his children go out and run the business without him. But he felt that they needed a safety net, so he sold it to the PE shop. Mm -hmm. It's right. all about what, what a win looks like for you. Yeah. No, that's great. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I think anybody listening to or watching this should take detailed, copious notes and the, you know, for a wide variety of situations, you know, you, you shared clearly a ton of highly practical information and, and I'm sure learned over many years and many mistakes but by many. others or by others or yourself. But but it's, uh, you know, really, really valuable. Truly appreciate this. I can be reached eric.lynn at eosworldwide.com. I would love to help anyone who needs it. Help first. That's all I want to do is help. Awesome. So reach out to Eric Lynn, eric.lynn, L-Y-N-N at eosworldwide.com. Really appreciate this. And uh, thank you for coming. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. No problem. And everybody else, we will see you on the other side. You're listening to Win Win, an entrepreneurial community with your host, Ben Wolf.